Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself! Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb, and then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. What a nice crowd. Helen Hong, how are you? I'm very well. What uh, have you been up to since our last uh, recording? I've been doing a lot of drinking, Jakey. Oh, I'm all not right. Lie. Perfect. I've been doing a lot of drinking. What is your drink of choice? You know, it depends on whatever anyone's buying me at the moment. Okay, so for free free drinks are yeah, your favorite free drinks. kind. Like for instance, I rarely drink beer, but here mm -hmm. we are at the Angel City Brewery, a delightful brewery. And as I walked in, um, the, one of the managers was like, "Try this Hefeweizen with a." Uh, some pomegranate syrup. And I was like, okay. So I drank a, a pomegranate vison. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys are calling Pama it. Pomevison, I think. Pomevison, sure. yeah. And I had half of that, and now I'm drunk. Oh, all right, great. This will be fun. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's first guest. Helen, who is up first? He is a founding member of the Upright Citizens Brigade and host of the podcast Improv for Humans. It's Matt Besser. Matt Besser. <laughs> How are you? Hey, everybody. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Very well. Matt, you leapt up here with a spring in your step. Yeah, one to be on time. You <laughs> want to be a big pause. Good job. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to have you here. I love your podcast, Improv. Thank you. Humans. Thank you. Uh, now, you, of course, have been doing improv for uh, how many years, would you say, at this point? Since I graduated from college, I guess. 1989. What? Holy moly. That kid wasn't even born yet. Wow, amazing. Uh, now, now, the style of improv you do is called long-form improv. Yes, sir. And, you, and uh, almost every time when I've heard you ask for a suggestion, you only ask for one word. What, mm -hmm. what is it about one word as opposed to a, a more specific suggestion because or a line of dialogue? Because then they'll start to write the scene for you, and then it gets mm -hmm. a little wacky mm. once, right. once people start. And there's improv that does that, where, but they'll go, you're a doctor on a pirate ship. It's like, yeah. all right, that's a little much. Yeah, <laughs> a little much. I'll just be a doctor. And then you take it from there. And, uh, are there words that come up again and again that you're sick of hearing? Yes. I, if you listen to my podcast, anybody listen to my podcast? Sure. What, what word do I hate? Do you know what suggestion I ban? Pineapple. pineapple thank you. <laughs> nice. People think pineapple is a funny word. Right. I guess it might be. Someone said platypus the other day. That yeah. also irritated me. I think uh. platypus is the pineapple of the animal kingdom. <laughs> Someone's going to put that an on animal? a t-shirt. Is like it a that. bird? I don't even know. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's certain words people say like, I'll help him out. Pineapple. Yeah. It's a funny <laughs> fruit. It's spiky, but you eat it. <laughs> uh, now, uh, what was involved in adapting it, to, adapting your, your improv technique to an audio-only podcast? Is, there, is, it, is it anything particularly tricky about doing it that way? Uh, it was at first, because we were... I say we, all the improvisers, first off, you're used to hearing laughter and that kind of, because it's not a live podcast like this, so you're used to having the, the audience kind of inform you a little bit, mm -hmm. and also them seeing you, obviously, so if you're doing object work, mm -hmm. mime work, or walking around and creating a where, as we call it, a location, 
you can't do that if they mm. can't see you. So then we started to be more narrative of like, we take you to a pirate ship where there's a doctor on <laughs> right, it. Right, right. Uh, you know, we, we set up the scenario more, and I think it's become a little more almost poetic, you could say, mm. when, you're, when you're using your words to describe something rather than counting on the eyes of the audience to do it. It, it, uh, it exercises that muscle. But I think we figured it out, and I think the improvisers became comfortable not having an audience. But that, that, that in general is kind of a weird thing in right. podcasting and oh comedy. As a stand-up comic, I can't even imagine, like, we, you are rarely in situations where you have to tell your jokes to someone, like if you're auditioning for something, and just, ugh, there's no laughter, and you're like, am I, am we're ta- I dying? What's happening? We were talking about the uh, Aspen Comedy Festival. Uh, it's this festival and started in the 90s, and I was at the very first one, and when I auditioned for it, I auditioned for the big three, these, uh, these three, and it was just for them in a hotel room, oh. just standing in front of three people doing my stand-up act. Oh. It was a nightmare. But you got in. I got in, oh, though. Oh, okay, it worked. Some, you know some what? I probably wouldn't have gotten in if I'd done it in a real club, is the okay. funny thing. <laughs> I was probably more impressed of being a well, see, you spaz least, in the hotel room. Yeah, you at least have an excuse if you don't hear laughter. We're, we're really counting on you guys tonight. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then something else I want to ask you about. You accomplished something that I, that I am uh, very uh, envious, probably too strong a word, maybe uh, deathly jealous of. Uh, you were on a baseball card, a Topps baseball oh, card. Oh, I thought you were going to say I had a child. Oh, yeah. no. Anyway, nah. No, what's the opposite More impressive <laughs> baseball card uh yeah that was really weird uh tops baseball card a a guy contacted me through email this is whatever like four years ago and i thought i was being scammed yeah because he was like would you like to be on a this is the way i read it i was like would you like to be on a baseball card (laughs) what font is that for him and then he was also saying something about me making money off of it and i was like this has got to be a scam all i need is your credit card number to get started exactly and i thought it was one of those kind of scams and so i've had people on my uh podcast that i run into on the internet just like let's take this to my podcast i want to hear you Mm. so i was gonna hope i thought this guy would be scamming me so i had him on does he say be scamming i thought yeah that he was going to scam me, and I had him on, and then when he's, I was like, he's not scamming me. He's going to have me. It was this special series that had stand-ups, actors, non-baseball players, mm-hmm. basically. It was a wow. special series, and I got on it. And now the funny thing is, even up to this last weekend, I still have people sending me the card to autograph these and, and at least 90% of them have zero idea <laughs> who I am. So they'll send me these letters like, I've been a... F- a fan of baseball since I was two years old, and uh, you're my favorite baseball player. <laughs> or, or they will know I'm a stand-up, but not know me, but pretend to. So they'll go to my IMDb page, and they'll pick out something I just had two lines on Fresh Off the Boat, and they'll go, "I loved you on Fresh Off the Boat." <laughs> <laughs> and so you sign those like Babe Ruth or yeah. somebody else. Excellent. Well, we're certainly happy to have you. The Hall of Famer of Comedy, Matt Besser, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Matt be competing today? She is an actor who is a cast member on Mad TV and can be seen every week on AP Bio and NBC. It's Lyric Lewis. Lyric Lewis. Hello, Lyric Lewis. Hello, how's it going? It's Thank going very you. well. Lyric, I love your work on AP Bio. And actually, Thank for, you. 
First, though, I love your name. Is that your actual name, Lyric Lewis? It is. The one thing my parents did right was gave me a great stage name. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm still very upset that, at my parents for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of improv, you have been and are a member of the Groundlings, another improv and sketch school and theater here in Los Angeles. Yes, I'm a member of the main company, the Groundlings. Yeah. So, off default, me and Matt are beefing. Off default. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we already have inherent beef between Groundlings and UCB, so we are we'll, improv we'll go toe to toe. The best kind of beef. Yes. Uh, did your being in the Groundlings lead you to be on uh, AP Bio? I would say, yeah. I mean, um, I always, um, I feel like, was a sketch comedy girl. And, like, you know, awkward and, like, vanity, void of vanity with my comedy and, like, was, like, into making a fool of myself before being cute so or anything else. So that's the key else. to being a sketch comedy gal. Yeah. Yes. Make a fool of yourself first, and the rest will come later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it definitely let through, you know, connections and just like me being fearless with, you know, how I presented myself, mm -hmm. and you know what I mean, just like being fearless with it. And absolutely. Yeah. Now on AP Bio, you play a teacher. Yes. But have they actually shown you teaching a class on AP Bio? Because it they seems like have. you're usually in a bar or a lounge. They have. For we did 13 episodes of season one. And 10 of the 13, okay, you see us in the teacher's lounge eating a lot of smallly cut pieces of cheeses, <laughs> meats, and fruits. I primarily am a cantaloupe watermelon gal on the show. <laughs> However, once we get to, I think, episode 11, you see us in our classrooms teaching, and we do a great volcano experiment. I'm a history teacher on the show, Steph Duncan. And so Ms. Duncan goes into the history of Pompeii and Herculaneum with a uh, volcano experiment, and it's great, but you get to finally see me and my element in my classroom with a projector what? and a chalkboard. So it's great. And, uh, and you play a history teacher. You're a big fan of history yourself. I am. I am. I've narrated several episodes of Drunk History. All right. I want to talk to you. Amazing. Which is where I truly shine. Yes. <laughs> what was your favorite topic or the story that you told on Drunk History? I feel like your my favorite? favorite, which will not air until 2019, is Cleopatra's punk-ass younger sister. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm already obsessed. Yeah. She's fascinating. And what drink did you imbibe to tell that story, and how much of it? What did I do? I think this one I tried to do um, uh, Woodford Reserve, but the bottle I got was clearly Hrank. So me and Derek <laughs> split a bottle of bourbon that went hard to the left, but in a great way for television. So. Now, how did the producers know at which point you're drunk enough to make good TV, but too drunk to make good to TV? To keep the party yeah, going? Like, yeah. You know what? I feel like they can tell in one's eyes, even though <laughs> <laughs> the episode that just aired this week, clearly they couldn't tell. <laughs> Because at the end of it, my eyes are like so red and I'm like holding onto a wall for dear life. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And it's so like, like my mom texting, my mom texting me and she goes, it was very funny. You were great, but I didn't know if you would make it. And I was like, <laughs> but I think, and you know, I just I I feel like part of the joy, but it's also part, part of the joy of like the fact that I still was able to tell true world history whilst at my drunkest. <laughs> so I think that's how they, I think they can tell when, A, and also when I fall asleep, which, <laughs> ask my fiance, I fell asleep a couple times. Nice. Oh, wow. 
And last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you were on the uh, uh, the re most recent season of Mad TV a few, a few years yes. back. Uh, you got to do some really fun impressions on that one. <laughs> what, 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 where, did you, where did your Rihanna impression come from? Because oh I thought that was really cool. That one was placed on my lap. Oh, really? That wasn't the thing you brought to the party? My go-to, it's so weird because I, um, cause I went to school, I went to Syracuse for college, and so I feel like I went to school with a lot of people from the East Coast and that are Caribbean and like from Grenada and all that where... Caribbean and like West Indian accents are like the last thing I try to do. <laughs> Cause I'm always like, it to me, I'm like, I fall, I end up sounding like, hello, I'm from Aripoa. Uh, like that's what <laughs> I sound like. Whenever I'm like, I'm from Jamaica, hello, oh, it's Dolby. Like that's me. And so that was the last thing I wanted to do, but they were like, no, girl, you got Rihanna. And I was like, oh, I wow. don't. So what did you end up doing? Can you give us a I little like bit? A, I, I just, well, first of all, they played her. They had me play her, which was great. Just very, like, kind of high and, like, mm -hmm. chill. So I just was like, yeah. Like, all the time I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, oof. <laughs> yes, yeah, like very like the sensual, sexual side of Rihanna, not the talking one. Okay. <laughs> That's the key to a good impression. Which I'm happy to play that. Don't side say of much. Her. Yeah. Well, there goes our Rihanna booking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Lyric Lewis. <laughs> All right, Lyric and Matt, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside of your field of work in which you feel you have expertise. Matt, you told us you know a lot about Arkansas cults. Ooh. <laughs> Arkansas Razorbacks football post-1978. <laughs> and this will go with that, the movie Repo Man. Oh, only Arkansas Repo Man. Only Arkansas yeah. Repo Man, yeah. Tell us a little about, about each of those topics. First, you said you know a lot about Arkansas cults? Yeah, there's not, there's not so many, but I had weird connections to a few of them growing up, so I became fascinated with them. Interesting. Were you ever recruited for one? I went to a meeting without being recruited just because I wanted to be a deprogrammer when I was a kid. Uh -huh. So I went to a, a unification church when I was like uh, 14. My parents did not know about that oh. one. Yeah. What? And then there was this other crazy cult that right before they uh, shot themselves... Uh, in a mutual uh, murder, not murder-suicide, mutual suicide, they visited the Art Arkansas Arts Center where I was the receptionist. So I got to meet <laughs> these cult members before they hijacked a bus and uh, shot each other. So that made me interested in cults, too. Well, let's see if we can... Uh... Fun childhood. I kind, of, I kind of regret that we started with that one. Um, uh... Matt, you also said you know a lot about Arkansas Razorbacks football, but post-1978. Yeah, that's where it started for me, so I, d I didn't want to go be before that. But uh, I, I hope that's, that's such a giant category. I would really probably make a fool of myself in that category. But uh, I, I do love it. I go to a game every year. Awesome. And then finally, you did say you know a lot about the movie Repo Man. I would say that movie, maybe even the soundtrack. When I thought about it more, I was like, maybe I should have said the soundtrack <laughs> is what I'm an expert on. But I'd say that soundtrack kind of changed my life and that movie, too. Yeah. Awesome. Why? Why? Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's like uh, punk rock for beginners, I would say. Uh, that soundtrack. Uh, definitely TV Party by Black Flag is a nice introduction to punk rock. How for old were you when you saw it? That's a good question. I guess it came out in 84, so uh, I was a junior in high school. Awesome. Well, we'll ask you about one of those topics later. Uh, Lyric, you said you know a lot about Jurassic Park. Yes. Uh, also, Greek mythology. Yes. And astrology. I so. Yes, I think so. Doubleology. Interesting. Yes. Tell us a little bit about each of those. You said you know a lot about Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was one of those weird movies um, when it came out in '93 
that I feel like it, you know, I feel like when you talk to directors and they're like, oh my God, I saw The Fly and it made me want to direct Hollywood movies forever. Whatever, Jurassic Park, I feel like moved me where I was into dinosaurs and archeology span as a kid. When I saw that movie and you saw the dinosaurs, how they looked real, that like did it for me. I mean, first of all, I just got a tattoo of Life Finds A Way like a week ago. What? <laughs> Fresh, it's peeling on my arm, on my wow. wrist. So Steven Spielberg, if you're listening, just got a tattoo of that. But I feel like it did something to me as a kid where I saw dinosaurs that looked real. And after that, I was like, bust wide open, as they mm. would say. Wow. Where, um, and I loved dinosaurs before that, but that just like, extra hooked me to feel like I was able to see them in the flesh, mm -hmm. in a sense. Sure, all right. Uh, you also said you know a lot about Greek mythology. Yes. What tattoo do you have about that? None yet. Oh, okay. But the palette is very clean, <laughs> so it's open for that. But Greek, you know, it's weird. I feel like I used to watch Hercules with my dad. Yeah. Wait, the Steven with, Sorbo one? With Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo. Sorbo. Shout out to Kevin, Kevin Sorbo. Sorbo, wherever he is. Yeah. Living his best life. And then, but I loved, I think in, I'm from New Orleans originally, so I moved, and I moved from there when I was 12 to St. Paul, Minnesota. Woo! And so one of the things that I had that got me through like middle school when no one could understand my accent was Greek mythology, where I would just read a ton. And so I read a ton about like that, I was into that. So I had this big book that was like the from front to back history, Greek mythology full throttle. And so I did that, but it made me just, I was super into it and I loved it. And I also watched Xena, shout out to Lucy Lawless. Nice. And um, so you're keeping track, shout out to Woodford Reserve and Lucy Lawless. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Those are our shout outs. And Kevin Sorbo. And Steven Spielberg, wherever Steven is yeah. tonight. Okay. I love that social isolation pushed you to Greek. It's a Greek mythology of all things. I was like, yeah. I'm gonna learn about Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, you said you know a lot about astrology. Yes, very weird. Me, I had a roommate in college my sophomore year that we only, we scouted men and only dated men based on their signs and how compatible they were to us. No. And so that's the only reason why I know because we had this book called Sextrology. Oh boy. <laughs> and so we'd be like, Nope, you're an Aquarius, I'm a Taurus, it won't ever work. Are you serious? <laughs> and that's what we did to countless men. Wow. No. And now you are currently engaged. Yes. What is the compatibility with your uh, fiance, astrology-wise? He's a Libra. And as well as, um, but as well as my father and my brother. Oh. And so they're, Libra and Taurus have a very, like, it's a very, like, we balance each other where I'm very, like, hot, I'm very buck. I'm very, like, ready to go right now. Mm. Ooh. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat all the time. I'm very emotional. Where Libras are very, like, they're balanced, they're the scale, so they're just like, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't follow this girl to the bathroom and curse her out. Right. <laughs> For being mean to you at a movie theater, maybe you should just have several seats <laughs> and not follow her out, which the tourist in me is like, I'm gonna let her know what's up. So it's a great comment. I remember reading that in the astrology book, that exact thing. <laughs> Now, uh, I'm a cancer, and I would totally be like, we're going to the bathroom, girl. Let's do this. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, I, don't, I would go to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, me, I don't believe in astrology, but that is such a Gemini thing to say. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Later on, we'll ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Now, if either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person does have a chance to steal. Your subjects today, drink it in. Up first, Matt. Matt, your topic was suggested by a listener. 
Peter Bergendahl of Burlington, Vermont says, it could be too simple, but I have seen engineers get this wrong. What is the difference? I already don't like this. Okay. <laughs> it could be too simple. That's how he's going to start it. So I'm a dummy. But he's also said that he's seen engineers who we presume are smart people uh, who so like it's trains. Not simple. No. All right. uh, he's also seen them get it wrong. All right. Either way, the question is this. Do your best. What is the difference between damping and dampening? Damping and dampening. Okay. Okay. You're hitting uh, it less? Hitting a little less? Dampening would be to make damp. It would be to make something wet. And the other one would be to... Uh, damping is a sound thing. And it's to, uh, to make it not as loud. I'm going to go with that. All right. So to make it not as loud as damping and then to make something wet is to dampen. Is dampening. Mm, yes? Uh, maybe. He's grimacing. <laughs> He's leaning as far away from the mic as possible so as not to leave any evidence of his answer. Yeah, I'm stepping away from my answer. Stepping away from the answer. All right. We do have Matt's answer. We don't know yet if he's correct yet. Lyric, if you don't think he's got it exactly right, you can steal the points. What do you think? Oh, I, I think he got it. <laughs> All right. It sounds correct to me. All right. So really, re- really on the edge of your seat, ready to leap in there <laughs> and agree with Matt. Uh, all right. The segment is drying up. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Helen. Here are the facts. Damping means to reduce the amplitude of a wave. It could be a sound wave or any other type of vibration that you want to reduce or eventually stop. Dampening is to apply moisture to something, like a rag. It can also be used metaphorically, like to dampen your spirits. How about an example, Helen? As an example, you could say when you stand in front of the DJ's speaker, you are damping his sound. So that is why the dancers threw their drinks at you, dampening your clothing. That's right. Now, damping can also refer to the material that you use to damp sound, and uh, you can clean that damping with a damp rag. Uh, what does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? I think Matt got both components of that yeah. answer. I think yeah. so as well. That is two points two for points. Matt Besser. All right. All right, Lyric, it's up to you to see if you can catch up. Up next in Drinking It In, Lyric, they both are great for people who don't want to get drunk at a bar. I don't know if you can relate to that scenario. Uh, but what is the difference between club soda and seltzer? Club soda and seltzer. Club soda doesn't have any calories. Right. Seltzer is also water, but it has, it's like a, um, has like sugar and stuff in it. Okay, so just to be clear, you're saying club soda is just water with fizz. Yes. And seltzer is water with fizz, but also some flavor. Like stuff in it. Like it's like, like a, stuff. It's got yeah, stuff. Yeah, like okay. it's like a, 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 a clear Pepsi. Like a... a <laughs> <laughs> like clear Pepsi. All right. Maybe. <laughs> so, so in other words, a marketing train wreck. Uh, all right. Well, we've got Lyric's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Matt, what do you think? Huh. Uh, okay. I think seltzer will have less stuff in it for some reason. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say club soda has like minerals in it. All right. Mm-hmm. And seltzer doesn't. Okay. So seltzer is just the fizzy water then? Uh, they both are carbonated, I'm going to guess. Okay. But club soda has minerals, you're saying? Uh, I think so, yeah. All right. Well, this uh, segment is getting flat, so let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Seltzer is simply water that has been carbonated with carbon dioxide. All it is is water with bubbles. Club soda is also water with carbon dioxide, but it also has minerals. Usually potassium bicarbonate and potassium citrate to enhance the flavor. It can also have sodium, but not all club sodas contain sodium. That's right. So seltzer may also sometimes be flavored with citrus or whatnot, but it never contains sodium or added minerals, and both will still cost you $14 at a strip club. (laughs) Uh, What does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? 
I think Matt got two more points. I think for he that. did as well, oh. Matt. You're on a roll. What is our score then as we end that first round? At the end of that round, Matt Besser has four points and Lyric Lewis has zero points. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. <laughs> I'm Biff. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. Turns out it isn't what we thought it would be. For example, stickers on car windows? It's no longer about what type of monster would let that happen, and more like realizing you are that monster. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Download One Bad Mother on MaximumFun.org or Apple Podcasts. And yes, there will be swears. Do you like trivia? Well, you're listening to a trivia podcast, so I'm guessing yes. Well, you know what? I do too. In fact, aside from hosting Go Fact Yourself, a highlight of my week is playing in a live trivia night with friends at a local bar. And the great people at Geeks Who Drink host weekly live trivia nights in over 1,000 bars, restaurants, and craft breweries in 48 states. It's free to play, you can win prizes, and the trivia is top-notch. Their editor-in-chief is six-time Jeopardy! champion Christopher Short. And if you really want to put yourself to the test, check out Geek Bowl, America's largest trivia night, hosted annually by Geeks Who Drink. The next Geek Bowl will be in Las Vegas on March 2nd, 2019. For information on Geek Bowl, weekly trivia nights, or their special theme quizzes, go to geekswhodrink.com. That's geekswhodrink.com. Welcome back to Go... Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Matt Besser with four points and Lyric Lewis with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hong. Thanks, everybody. Matt Besser, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Arkansas Colts, Arkansas Razorbacks football post-1978, and the movie Repo Man. Today we want to talk to you about Arkansas Colts. Ooh. Didn't wow. see that one coming. I didn't. I don't know how the audience feels about that. Some people got excited. <laughs> I thought you'd go Repo Man. Uh, well, we couldn't resist such an interesting topic. I, I have a feeling somebody else in the future might mention Repo Man. I doubt mm. we're going to get Arkansas Colts no, again. You so won't. I wanted to explore no. that. So tell us a little bit I more. I also want to know who your expert is. This is going to well, be Well, you're going to find out very soon. Uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit more about your experience with Arkansas Colts and why this is an interest of yours. Uh, I, like I said, I was, I, when, I, when I was growing up in the 70s into 80s, this is during the time of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. So Colts were kind of big in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on the way to school every day, we would pass what I eventually found out were the Moonies, and they were selling roses at the end of our street in this very weird location and even when it would rain, we'd be pouring down rain, and they'd be out there selling roses. And I would ask my parents, like, who are they? Even as a kid, I understood, like, this isn't right. People shouldn't be in the rain selling flowers. So that got me fascinated in them, and I started studying them, and I wanted to be a deep programmer, which is someone who takes someone from a cult and takes them to a motel room and smacks them around and tells them reality. And uh, How did you even know what a deep programmer was? There, there were movies about cults on all the time, and I read books. I started following all this stuff. And then eventually I went, like I said, to a Mooney meeting, which wasn't that scary. It was like any 
church meeting, mm-hmm. Bible study type of thing. But the fact that I was there and I was 14 and my parents didn't know that was pretty nuts in retrospect. I used to dig through their trash <laughs> to look for clues of brainwashing. I didn't even know what I was looking for. I'd just take their trash bag and me and my friends would be in an alley like, hmm, what's... I don't know what I was looking for, syringes or something. Yeah. I don't know what I was looking for. And, uh, and I'm sure if you... If we're, I'm sure we'll get to these other cults if we're about to be quizzed on it, but uh, the, the most famous one would be uh, uh, Tony Alamo Church, and uh, they even moved here to California. If you've ever had a flyer on your window that's anti-Catholic church, they were known for that for decades. Hmm. Even here in L.A., in my own neighborhood, I'd find, I would be like, this motherfucker is in jail now. Still, his flyers are getting yeah. out wow. by his nutty... Uh, cult members. Well, just ahead, we'll enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Arkansas cults to test wow. your mastery in this subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Lyric, do listen closely, because if Matt answers incorrectly and you know the correct answer, you can steal. How much do you know about Arkansas cults, Lyric? Not specifically Arkansas cults, but I did just recently watch a documentary about the Moonies. Oh, okay. Oh, specifically, which is very What's weird. What's it called? Which is very weird. I forget their full name, but I know the son's name is Sean, who's in charge of it right now. Uh-huh. I hope that's not a question. If so, X that answer. <laughs> okay, we'll X it now. All right, uh, Matt, here we go. Here's your first question about Arkansas cults. I have a feeling you're going to get this. The People's Temple, probably the most famous and tragic cult ever, had mm. 41 members who were from Arkansas. Named for the cult leader, what was the name of the settlement in Guyana that they moved to? I thought you just said it. The People's Temple. Wait, no, but they named they named the they named their settlement after their leader. Oh, Jim Jones, Jonestown. Jonestown. Ellen, that is correct. That is correct. It was Jonestown. Uh, number two, the Advanced Training Institute is the homeschooling branch of a sect that includes what notoriously large Arkansas reality TV family as members. I know the TV family you're talking about. It's those idiots that adopted like a hundred people. They have like a hundred kids. Yeah. What the hell is their names? So they're in a cult. The, well, they they we were not willing to say that exactly on record, but we will say they seem like they are a cult. Can I, one family adopt enough people? Yeah, to become I don't. A, I don't disagree. They're uh, It's. Uh, do you what know their is names? their names? I'm just going to say a random name. They're the, the Johnsons. Are they the Johnsons, Helen? They are not the Johnsons. No, Johnson. Lyric with a chance to steal. Dang, dog. I don't have it. I don't, think. don't have it, no. How about any, just any random name? Give, give someone a plug. I was going to say the, the one people on TLC, but I don't think it's them. So just say it. The Smiths. Is it the Smiths? <laughs> not the Smiths. Not the Smiths. Not the Johnsons or the Smiths. It's the Duggars. The oh, Duggars. Yes. You think you knew it, you just couldn't quite pull it. Uh, it from the sh- <sighs> that's right. From the show 19 Kids in County. That's right. There on you go. TLC. On TLC. Right. So I was on the right track. You were on the right track, but couldn't quite get to the station. The Duggars. Uh, okay. All right, Matt, let's see if you can bounce back with this. I have a feeling you're going to know this. In 1982, two cult members hijacked a Trailways bus in Jasper, <laughs> Arkansas. Holding the passengers hostage and demanding that the police kill them. The police did not oblige. Hashtag white privilege. The hijackers did not harm the passengers, but ended up shooting themselves, believing they would be resurrected three days later. Mm -hmm. The name of their cult and the cult leader were both FOU, F-O-U, which stands for Foundation of what? Ubiquity. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. A solid answer from Matt Besser. Isn't that crazy? I saw them the day before, and I told my parents, I came home, I was like, 
these two Hell's Angels, because that's what they were dressed like, like motorbike guys, uh, came in and they looked totally not like everyone else going to the art, Arkansas Art Center that day. <laughs> and instead of writing their names, they wrote uh, biblical verses what? in the, the guest book And did thing. you have any idea that they were about to do something so violent and crazy? I tried to tell everyone. <laughs> no, I didn't Matt, know. it's not your fault. And then what it's happened? Not you, your fault. you saw them on TV and you were like, wait a minute. Everybody did. They, that was their hostage negotiations. They had to get the TV crew there. They were going to start shooting people every 30 minutes. So and they, they say, got if the only t- that guy at the receptionist at the art center had given us better seats, yeah. we wouldn't have been here. Yeah. Uh, all right, you did well with that. Let's move on to number four. In the 1960s, Gwen Shaw began an all-female cult that yeah. settled near Jasper, Arkansas. Eventually, men were allowed to join. The men were referred to as end-time servants, and the women are called end-time what? Handmaidens. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Handmaidens. Wow. The original. Matt Besser knows his Arkansas cults. Uh, all right, Matt, you did very well with that. Here's question number five. This may be difficult. During the Civil War, Arkansas was a member of the Confederate States of America, or CSA. In the 1980s, there was another CSA in Arkansas, a cult that was dissolved <laughs> in 1985 after 300 federal agents raided their compound and the leaders were sent to the pen on racketeering charges. What does this CSA stand for? The covenant, the sword, and the arm of the Lord. Helen? (laughs) That is correct. Matt Besser. Wow. Wow. He doesn't know his reality TV families, but man, he knows his Arkansas cults. I don't think they're a cult, but go ahead. Okay, but they were homeschooled (laughs) in a certain cult. All right, you've done very, very well. But now, Matt, here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. They know. This question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. Here we go. As you had mentioned, the most notorious Arkansas cult leader was Tony Alamo, whose Christian ministries once drew thousands of people nationwide. But that was before he became a convicted sex offender and tax dodger. We won't talk about that. For up to three points, what item of clothing worn by celebrities from Dolly Parton to Miley Cyrus to Michael Jackson did he continue to Mr. T. Yes. Did he continue to sell to fashion boutiques while he was on the run from authorities? Also, what town was his compound and original mansion in? And finally, what shape was both his swimming pool and his wife's mausoleum in at this compound? (laughs) That's how we prevent him from getting cocky, ladies and gentlemen. And I have to get all three to all, get one? No, no, no. Each, each is worth one point. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, he, they sold... You guys got to look this up online. Because he was known for selling sequin jackets, sequin jean jackets to all the Nashville stars. And they all... You can see, and still on his god-awful site, but like Dolly Parton in this crazy sequin Wait, jacket. Wait, did they know that he was on the run for being a cult leader at the time? He didn't have the sex offenses at that point, oh. but uh, <laughs> definitely known as being a cult. Cult leader jacket's fine. Sex offender jacket, yeah, that's where, that's we, draw where we draw the line. All right, so you're going to say denim jackets for that one. Sequin uh, denim jackets. Sequin denim jackets. Customized. All right. Custom sequin denim jackets. Helen, you've got that down? I've got it down. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we also want to know that what Arkansas town uh, contained his original mansion and compound. Very much like his name, Alma, Arkansas. Alma, and I, Arkansas. And it, my grandpa used to talk about it because they had this uh, restaurant in Alma, Arkansas, run by all the people in the cult. And they were, and he would say, they're crazy, but they got the best coconut cream pie. <laughs> Uh, 
Go for the pie, stay for the cult. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and then uh, then finally wanted to know what shape was both his swimming pool and his wife's mausoleum in his compound? Now this one. Man, what would this be? I'm just going to have to go with logic here. I don't know. So uh, I guess the cross would be the obvious one to go for. What else would there be? The other one would be heart. That seems more... John and Yoko then uh... <laughs> that's, that's right remember Yoko's mausoleum you know, that heart shaped mausoleum that she kept for him uh, I'm just going to go with logic and say a cross a cross alright uh, Helen is taking note of those answers we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure Helen who do we have today here with us tonight by phone from her home in Knoxville Tennessee we have an author whose book Whispering in the Daylight the children of Tony Alamo Christian Ministries and their journey to freedom is about to become a documentary it's Debbie Shriver Debbie Shriver oh. ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Debbie are you there I am here. Awesome, you sure are. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You have been listening uh, to the entire game that Matt has been playing. What do you think about his knowledge of Arkansas cults? I think it's very scary. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. So uh, how did you come to write a book about Tony Alamo? Well, children were were taken in an FBI raid in 2008 from Falk, Arkansas, and those kids' um, parents who adopted them, asked me if I would do a book to help them kind of transition to the outside world. So to tell their story. Yeah. And uh, uh, how much did you know about him already before you started writing this book? I knew nothing. Hmm. I had maybe heard of him um, because of the jackets in Nashville, but I really didn't know anything about him. had to do a lot of research. And uh, uh, Helen mentioned in your intro that this is about to become a documentary. Tell us about that project. We're really excited about it. NBC Peacock Productions and Sundance World of Wonder Productions are doing a documentary that should roll out in January. It'll be a four-parter, and it's going to be really, really good. Can I ask a question? Please do. Uh, do They're they're still active, right? They're still active here even in Hollywood. Did you interview any of them in Hollywood? I interviewed former members there, and I, I did interview someone who's who's still a member there, a sort of undercover. Um, and they are very active still. They have a compound in Saugus Canyon, and they recruit from Hollywood primarily. They're also pretty active right now in New York. And um, I think, Matt, you mentioned that Tony ruled from prison, and he even now rules from death. He's yeah. the the cult is getting pretty strong. They pick up, if you're interested, folks, on Hollywood and Highland. There's this white van, and I forget. I think it's on Thursdays around 4 or 5 p.m. So if you ever see a white van on Hollywood and Highland. I feel like I have. <laughs> that's, I go like take a ride. Like, that's oh, what okay, happens. Okay, let me ju- just jump in this van. Uh, now, now, now you, you gave one of our answers, but, uh, but it's not really giveaway because Matt was so confident about it. Uh, talking about these jackets talking about these jackets, because people might not think that they know who Tony Alamo was, but they definitely know the jackets. Tell us about uh, what, what the jackets meant to his business and his cult and, and how, he became, how they became such a, a, a fashion staple of celebrities. Well, Tony started out in California, and he was a, a promoter, and he takes a lot of credit for a lot of musical stars, but it's doubtful that he, for example, is responsible for the success of Sonny and Cher, as he says, but um, he was sort of seen as sort of a goofy guy, kind of a minor promoter who was who made himself look successful. 
And so he developed an outside world and an inside world. And the people inside his cult didn't have any interaction on the outside. And it was those jackets were actually made by mostly by children mm. um, in like, you know, all day long, seven days a week. Those kids worked in all kinds of ways. And one way was with the jackets. And I don't believe the stars knew that. I really don't. Um, I think that they saw him as kind of a quirky guy and he would present them jackets that were tailor-made for them and, and pose with them. And you can go on his website and see those pictures and it's pretty creepy, but I don't think I, I'm just sure that the stars had no idea. I don't think anybody had any idea at that time. Who were some of the celebrities that came by? And, and also, uh, this was during the time where the Clintons were in the, in the State House. Did they have any interaction with uh, him and his ministries? <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, when he opened, when his followers opened their restaurant in Alma, and that was kind of his method of operation. He would have a restaurant. They would bring people in for dinner and then do service, and then kind of people never left. And then that but coconut they, cream pie, right? That's right. But that in Alma was very That must popular. be a bomb-ass coconut cream pie. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Debbie, let's get to the reason that we brought you here today as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked Matt. We wanted to know three different things about this cult. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answers. First, we asked Matt, in what Arkansas town was Tony Alamo's original mansion on compound? Helen, what did Matt say? Matt said Alma, Arkansas. Debbie? Well, actually, um, Dyer is where the compound was was created where the mansion was. And I think you all asked about the mansion. Alma is the first place they la- they stopped, and that's where his wife Susan was born. And they did have some temporary kinds of buildings there, and they had their restaurant there. So um, we could probably give him that point, even though... All right. Oh, okay. So you're going to give him the point even though you believe that Dyer was the, the town where the mansion was as well? That's correct. All right, great. Uh, all right. Now, of course, we asked Matt, what was the item of clothing worn by celebrities that he continued to sell to fashion boutiques when he was on the run from authorities? Helen, what did Matt say? Matt said sequined jean jackets. And uh, Debbie, I think we know now, but tell us. Sequined bedazzled jackets. That's correct. (laughs) Another point for Matt. And then finally, we asked Matt, what shape was both the swimming pool and wife's mausoleum at Tony Alamo's compound? Helen, what did Matt say? Matt said the cross. And Debbie Shriver? It's the heart. Oh! So close. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that was your... That seems seems too sexy for him. Uh, Debbie Shriver, where can people find your book and look for this documentary coming up? The documentary will be on Sun, will air on Sundance in January, most likely, and my book is on Amazon. Ex- so, in bookstores too, but Amazon is an, an easy way to get it, and I encourage everyone to get it. Awesome. Well, we're certainly happy that you joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Debbie Shriver, thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that segment? At the end of that round, Matt Besser has 10 points, and Lyric Lewis has zero points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Lyric about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Lyric and Matt will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner and go fact yourself. Hey there, folks. I'm writer and performer Dave Holmes, and I host International Waters, 
where we pair a team of comedians in LA against a team of comedians in London in a pop culture trivia battle royale. Comedians like Elizabeth Lame. Can I ask yeah. you, is that a chasm or a chasm that you just discovered between you and Jeff? Chasm. <laughs> a chasm. Okay. Nobody says chasm. <laughs> nice try. Uh, do you say chasm? Were you trying to soft pitch your idea of saying chasm? Well, I've just learned something, you guys. <laughs> April Richardson. In high school, I cut my hair really short. Yeah. But in between, I got a mullet as a joke. Like, I went to the place and I was like, okay, cut it all except the back and I'll have that for like a day. And then I started like getting my feelings hurt. So people were like openly laughing at me. And many more. Join us every other week on International Waters with me, Dave Holmes. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. to go fact yourself where our score is Matt Besser with 10 points and Lyric Lewis with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks, Helen. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Lyric Lewis, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Jurassic Park, Greek mythology, and astrology. Today I we're going to ask you about Jurassic Park. Let's go. Let's go. Fun one. Let's Tell go. us a little bit more about your interest in Jurassic Park. How did you get into it? How many times have you seen it? I've seen it many, many, many times. I've seen it on Blu-ray, VHS, DVD, and on TNT. Wow. A lot of times. Wait, so you're talking about the OG original Jurassic Park? The only park that matters. Okay. Not a fan of the the Lost World, are we? I mean, I think World is fun. Shout out to Chris Pratt for doing his thing. I think think World is fun. I think Lost World is fun. I think Jurassic Park 3 is fun. I think... Fallen Kingdom is fun in its own right. However, I think that you can never beat the original of Park from 93. So. All right. Did you also see it in the theater when it came out? I did. My dad took me and my brother to go see it. And you said you were interested in dinosaurs even before you saw the movie. Yes. So you were just, you just like were obsessed with dinosaurs. I just loved archaeology and paleontology. All like, right. Just in general, I thought it was dope. Yeah. And when was the last time you saw the movie? Um, I saw it May 13th when they did the 25th anniversary celebration at Universal Studios Hollywood. So I went there and I saw it in IMAX, which I hadn't seen it in 25 years on a big yeah. screen. So it was I, very in a dork way, like I got warm in my chest. <laughs> and like one, one eye got wet. One. one eye got wet, but I was like, because it still looks good on right. a big screen, which it, to, this is the, also, this is a note to producers and directors of CGI currently. You don't need to do that much because Jurassic Park 1 looks great. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. But it, it holds up 25 Absolutely. years later. Isn't it, looks, it crazy that it was 25 years ago? It and it looks much better than stuff that people are doing now. Like it's going, they're, doing, they're yeah. going too hard in the paint. We don't need right. all that. Yeah. Too hard in the paint, people. I too agree. hard in the paint. We don't need all that. Just ahead, we'll enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Jurassic Park to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, let's give you a chance to show off. Here are five trivia questions about Jurassic Park, each worth one point. Again, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now, Matt, do listen closely because you can steal if Lyric gets any wrong. Matt, by the way, how much do you know about Jurassic Park? I've seen it once. (laughs) I I don't believe that. Yeah. You're just not part of the cult of Jurassic Park, as as, 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 if you were. I enjoyed it. I have a sneaky suspicion, Matt, that you're lying. I got a sneaky suspicion. (laughs) All right. He's trying to hustle you. He is. All right, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Here we go. Your first question for Lyric Lewis about Jurassic Park. 
1973, a screenwriter wrote a movie about an unusual amusement park where everything goes haywire. Almost two decades later, the same writer released a book called Jurassic Park it's about Michael an Crichton. unusual amusement park where everything goes haywire. Who is this highly original Michael author? Michael Crichton. He, that was Westworld, Michael Crichton, and he wrote also Jurassic Park. Helen. That is correct. That is correct, of course. Crichton. I wanted to make my little joke about the original, but uh, who cares? It's literally the same blueprint, which is crazy, right? It really is. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but the first time wasn't as successful. The second time a monster hit. It was on a poppin'. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Number two, on what fictional island does Jurassic Park take place? Isla Nublar. Not to be concerned with Isla Sorna, which was site B. Okay. That is correct. Helen, we might not need you here for a while. I don't know. Yeah. All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Jurassic Park, of course, is known for its amazing dinosaurs, but which of the following dinosaur did not appear in the film Jurassic Park? Okay. Brachiosaurus, Stegosaurus, Dilophosaurus, Gallimimus, or Triceratops? Triceratops. That is not correct. Not correct. I'm terribly sorry. It was Stegosaurus? Matt with a chance to steal. Yeah, I'm going to go with Stega. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It was a Stegosaurus. No, the Stegosaurus did appear in all other Jurassic Park movies. And oh, shout out to Matt for once again flying and saying he'd only seen the movie once. Ah, that's right. When clearly. Yeah, where did you pull Stegosaurus from, Matt? 25 years ago. It's very interesting. Muy interesante that you remember that 25 years ago. I just guessed. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with this one, Lyric. Number four, Jurassic Park was nominated for three Oscars and won all three. Name two of the three categories it won. Oh, okay, I got fine. I'll use a hint. Helen, how about that reluctant hint? (laughs) One of the categories shares a word with the other two categories. Oh, God, I'm going to go with, I don't know why I'm going to go with screenplay. I feel like screenplay screenplay is one. Um, and I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with screenplay and best I don't know original score. Screenplay and score, Helen, is that correct? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry, Matt, what with a chance it? to steal. Uh, special effects and score, Helen. That is not correct. No, not correct. You were a little bit closer, Matt. Visual effects, sound, and sound effects editing. They were all in technical categories. Technical. Well, boo to the Academy for that one. Well. <laughs> Take that, 1994 Academy. Yeah. Uh, All right. Finally, here's question number five. Who is the only on-screen performer in the Jurassic Park cast to have won a Tony Award? I'll take the hint. Helen, how about that hint? He won for M. Butterfly in 1988. That's a really good hint. Great. (laughs) This is the worst question of my life. And answer. I'm, <laughs> could be B.D. Wong for all we know. It could be Wu. Um, we do need an answer. I'm going to go with Dr. Hammond. Why not? Played by? We need the actor, not the... Richard character. Attenborough. Richard no. Attenborough. Helen, is it Richard Attenborough? No. It was not No, I'm Richard terribly sorry. Matt with a chance to steal. Uh, B.D. Wong. Helen? That is correct. <laughs> Again, your second instinct, always your best bet. Wow. Wow, Matt. All right, let's see if you can bounce back because now it is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. That's right. We got some support in the crowd for you, even though they know that this is uh, worthy. Here we go. Uh, 
Though it was still under construction, a lot of important scenes occurred in the visitor center of Jurassic Park. Let's see how closely you observed them. For up to three points, what did the large banner that was hung and later fall say? What was the decorative centerpiece on the buffet table? And what was the title of the one book for sale in the gift shop? Well, I know the banner said, um, when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Okay. The centerpiece in the what center? On the buffet. There was a buffet table. With the cheesecakes and stuff? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the flower. I mean... A flower, okay. A flower. flower, all right. And then finally, what is the title of the one book that was for sale in the gift shop? I'm going to say it was Jurassic Park. <laughs> it was called Jurassic Park. Why not? Yeah. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is the editor-in-chief of Cinefix and co-author of several books about the making of movies, including The Making of Jurassic Park. It's Jody Duncan. Jody Duncan, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Miss Duncan. Have a seat right you there. Have a seat, Jody. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. Hi, Jody. Now, Jody, tell us a little bit about Cinefix before we get into the specifics of Jurassic Park. Cinefix started in 1979, and uh, back before computer graphics or anything, it's back when they did everything the old-fashioned way, and it's a lot more fun to write about, I have to say. Uh, and, and what happens at Cinefix? We cover, we cover visual effects and special effects in the movie, so we've been doing that since uh, our first cover was... Uh, I believe uh, Alien, the first Alien, Ooh. the old Ridley Scott one, yeah. And then what are some of the other movies that you've written books about? Uh, Avatar, I wrote The Making of Avatar. Ooh. I wrote a book about the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman trilogy. Uh, um, I always say this under my breath, uh, two of the Star Wars prequels. Um, oh. Oh. Yes. Well, everybody knows that the person most responsible for bad movies are the people who write the making of books about yeah, them. So right. yes, we really yeah. should be ooing. As, as I always say, I was yeah. an innocent bystander. I, <laughs> Did you get to the fault. bottom of Jar Jar Binks? Jar Jar Binks was not my idea. It was yeah. Not okay, my let's fault, make that clear. So. Um, and then why a book about Jurassic Park? How did that happen? Well, they knew it was really interesting because they actually hired us way back at the beginning. I mean, they had just started doing some artwork, really for it, didn't have a script yet or anything, but they had a feeling it was going to be a big movie and they wanted this really good book and they wanted it, the book to really uh, chronicle the whole process. Usually they bring you in to do these making of books like two months after the movie's done and you have six weeks to do it. They gave us a whole year, a little more than a year, and we were there with the art department on the set. Wow. We really got to follow the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, it was great. So you were on the set? Yes, quite a bit, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So now, the, those dinosaur scenes, what does it look like when you're on the set filming them? Because they all, it, it seemed they were all done either with graphics or, or with puppetry. What, right. what were well, they actually shooting at the time? Well, actually only 57 of the dinosaur, dinosaur shots are computer graphics. Mm -hmm. All the rest of them were Stan Winston Studio animatronics. Mm -hmm. and they but full do size, great. Like full size? Full size, wow. yes. What? Sometimes it was men in suits. There was a, a guy I know quite well who was in the raptor suit in the kitchen and uh which is the best scene so, in the movies it's one of the it's best is it yeah you had to kitchen. train for like six months to do that yeah. because it was quite heavy because he then, moved like really i believed right. that he was a raptor right yeah and then uh so the the rest it was either animatronics or or uh, very very few computer mm -hmm. animated what are some of your favorite memories on set of things that you saw 
Oh, gosh. Um, it was quite exciting to see, you know, when the kids are in the mud in the car that's mm -hmm. been turned upside yeah. down? Yeah. And the T-Rex is kind of pressing down on them. Obviously, actor safety, especially when they're little kids, is like everyone's nervous as hell on a set. They're very afraid of somebody getting hurt. So I'll tell you, those puppeteers on that T-Rex were really sweating bullets because they didn't want to be the people who killed <laughs> those two kid actors and, uh, with and that huge T-Rex. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. You heard okay. the question that we asked of Lyric. We wanted mm -hmm. to know, uh, first, what the banner that was hung and later fell said. Helen, what did Lyric say? Lyric said, when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. And uh, Jody? That is correct. That is correct. The point for Lyric. <laughs> Next, we wanted to know what the centerpiece at the buffet was. Helen, what was Lyric's answer? Lyric said flower. Jody? That is incorrect. Oh, what was it? It's like a science project volcano. It's a volcano. <laughs> yeah. Like from your show. Like Good from your show. Know. That's right. Once again, Matt coming in hot. <laughs> hot. I thought I thought that 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 seed that in, was in your brain from before would 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 uh, I don't, make a flower. I don't ever seen that. a. Book. No, I don't recall that stuff. scene. Yeah, it's a it's a blink and you'll miss it thing, but we uh, we wanted to be a little tricky. Hey. You know. I'm All right. For it. And then finally, we wanted to know what the title of the one book for sale in the gift shop was. Helen, what this. did Lyric say? Lyric said Jurassic Park. Jody. So close. It was the making of Jurassic Park by Don Shea and Jody Duncan. It so was your book. It was my book, yeah. But do, do I get a pass since it was close but not well, exactly the no, answer? It's up, up to our expert, Jody. Do you want to give her a point? I vote we give her the point. Jody, Oh, come man, to you. you're putting me on the spot. How we about, are putting you on the spot. It's pretty close. Can you get half a point? Half a point for yes, Lyric half Lewis. Half a point for Lyric. I'll take it. Now, that, that's a really fun knowing wink that they gave to a book that had not yet been published. That's what, right. What, how they did you find out that that was going to happen? Don was in the Amblin parking lot, walking into Amblin. Spielberg was leaving Amblin, and he waved to Don, and he said, I got you in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was it like when you saw the movie and saw your name uh, on the screen? Well, it was exciting, but the whole thing was exciting. We, we'd seen them build these things from plywood, and, you know, so to see it, all up there like that was amazing. Uh, all right, Jody, if people want to find this book or your other books, what can they do to uh, learn more about you and your oh, Well, it's 25 years old. I'm pretty sure the Jurassic Park book is out of print, but um, it did become a number one bestseller, however. Hello, hello. Yeah, it did. Um, but other books, you know, Amazon, Avatar, for the Batman book, the Stan Winston effect, oh, Stan Winston's entire career in one book, and uh, Amazon. Awesome, well, we're yeah. certainly happy that you joined us. Thank Jody you. Duncan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Helen, how about a score recap as you go into our final round? At the end of that round, Matt Besser has 12 points and Lyric Lewis has three and a half points. And Don't now it's time it. for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Matt and alternate between each guest and keep the discussion to a minimum. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the correct answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Matt, The Beatles' Hey Jude was written about John Lennon's son. Uh, false. Incorrect. No, it was. Julian Lennon. Lyric, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl was written about Christy Brinkley. True. Correct. Matt, Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom was written about Billie Jean King. <laughs> <laughs> These 
false. Incorrect. No, it was. Lyric, Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline was written about Caroline Kennedy. False. Incorrect. No, it was. Matt, Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady was written about David Lee Roth. Mm, false. Correct. That's right. Supposedly, it is about Vince Neil, though. Lyric, Gwen Stefani's Hollaback Girl was written about Blake Shelton. False. Correct. That's right. Allegedly, it was in response to Courtney Love. Matt, Ed Sheeran's Shape of You was written about Beyonce. Uh, who cares? That may be true, but we do need an answer. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, true. Incorrect. No, it was not. Lyric, Beyonce's Halo was written about Jay-Z. True. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry, Matt. Sarah McLaughlin's Angel was written about a stray dog. <laughs> True. Incorrect. No, it is actually about heroin addiction. Oh. And finally, lyric, the next My Sharona... Is heroin addiction a dog's name? No, not a dog's name, no. It was written about the epidemic of heroin addiction. And finally, lyric, the next My Sharona was written about a teenage girl who grew up to be a real estate agent in L.A. True. Correct. It is correct. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Lyric Lewis, Matt Besser, as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on today's episode of Go Fact Yourself? I am. At the end of the game, Matt Besser has 13 points, and Lyric Lewis has six and a half points. Congratulations. Matt Besser, you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Thanks, everybody. What will you do with your championship, Matt? Uh, I will continue to be a know-it-all unabashedly. That's what we want. <laughs> All right, uh, before we go, we just want to give everyone a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, services, or social media. Matt Besser, what do you have going on? Well, you say this won't come out until many months later from now, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing then. Check out my movies. <laughs> uh, no, mattbesser.com to find out, but uh, go Improv for Humans. That is my podcast. It's, it's, it's comedy, it's improv, and I think you'll enjoy it. How about I think that? so, too. I certainly do, and we enjoyed having you, Mr. Matt Besser. <laughs> Lyric Lewis, what about you? Well, um, you guys can all stream and watch AP Bio on Hulu or the NBC app. We won't be back out until next year by the time you hear this, but it's a fantastic, amazing show. Um, come and, I don't know, go to the ground and come check out some shows. Follow me on the gram, on the Twitter, and check me out on Facebook. Message me, poke me, do whatever you feel like you need to do. What's your and, handle? What's your um, handle? Huh? What's your handle? Lyric D. Lewis on the gram. Lyric say what? <laughs> on uh, Twitter's and just type in my name on Facebook and you'll find me and just do that. Well, we're Go so ahead. glad we did this. Lyric Lewis, ladies and gentlemen. You are a very lucky audience because your co-host is the lovely Ms. Helen Hong. What are you going on, my friend? You can follow me on all the social medias at Funny Helen Hong, at Funny Helen Hong, because some other biatch named Helen Hong has my handles. But she's not the funny one. No, but you are, Ms. Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me at jkeith.net on Instagram and on Twitter at j underscore Keith. That just leaves me to thank Lyric Lewis, Matt Besser, Debbie Shriver, Jody Duncan, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. <laughs> 
And like what you hear, come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Hey224456 did. He, she, or they said, great podcast. Can't wait for the next episode. Thanks, Hey224456. <laughs> Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Stephen Cologne is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Scott and Eric Heinley at ppiproducts.com, Harry Hannigan, Shannon Shea, Dave Bianchi, Mike Avellanos, Emma Baumhauer, Daniela Zeltzer, and Christine Vallada. I'm Helen Hong. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.